Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. What's up, Dave? Dave, who's Dave? You know, I know that like the closest people in your life call you Dave, so I'm just going to start transitioning into being one of the closest people in your life. Well, I'll tell you this. My wife calls me Dave. And my family calls me Dave or David, and people that I went to college with or high school might say David or Ciancio. Ciancio is probably a little more common. But other than that, everyone else calls me Rev. Nobody calls me Dave. I never had a nickname. I've always been Brad. Sometimes they called me Garoon, but it was only really only this one dude who, because of him, my knee doesn't work right anymore. That's an interesting story for a different podcast. Yeah, very. If we had a if we had a podcast about jackass stunts in high school, that's that, that could be this. But uh, but but let's talk about burgers. Yeah, tell you me. Any, tell me. Oh, you, you want? You, I want you to go to first. I'm going to step all over your 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 speaking here, and Brad, I want you to tell me about a burger. Sure, I'm happy to talk about a burger. Uh, I so I'm going to take every opportunity I have to talk about this for the next couple of weeks because I'm proud of myself. I ran the Spartan Sprint yesterday. It's a big audience clapping you in there, buddy. Thanks, dude. Uh, very kind. Uh, I didn't really train, which was a mistake. In hindsight. Oh. Um, so now I am cut and bruised. I think that would have happened anyway. But, um, you know, during the race, because of my lack of training, I did cramp up quite a bit. Uh, but, I, but I finished the race, and all was good with the world. Got to eat a lot of junk food that they had for the winners. But um, when my teammates for the, from the race asked me what burger we should get, I just looked at them Yelp. And uh, Jake's Wayback Burgers was was just a few miles away, so we went there. And while the burger was good, what I really want to call out is this: this place had great fries, and they had warm chips at the table. I like warm chips. Who doesn't like warm chips? This is what I suggest to restaurants: make homemade chips. It can't be that much harder than making fries. Just make chips in house. It's it's fun. It's great. Warm chips are delightful. Interesting. What about you? yeah? What about you, Rev? Any good burgers? Yes, but let's talk about a hot dog first. <laughs> oh, if we must. <laughs> well, no, because it's a segue. Because I ate a burger with fresh made potato, or a hot dog with fresh made potato chips on it uh, yesterday. Okay, it's a it's a nice segue. <laughs> That's what I was saying. So yeah. I I went to uh, Callahan's, the original in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and I don't know if do you know anything about the whole Jersey hot dog thing? Nope. So in in every part of the world, there's like the native food. You know, New York is pizza, Philly's cheesesteaks, Detroit's coney, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and in New Jersey, one of those things is the hot dog, right? It's just way more prevalent is this this idea of a deep fried hot dog called a ripper. And, you know, there is there is the windmill, there's Rutt's Hut, there's Hot Grill, um, there's Hiram's. There's so many of these places that have been for, around forever doing these hot dogs. And Callahan's is one of the originals. And it originally opened, I guess, in like 1950. Uh, and there's been some family issues and closings and openings and blah, blah, blah. But uh, Leonard Castriani, the original owner or, or son of the original owner, his gr- sorry, his grandfather opened it. So grandson of the original owner just reopened Callahan's, the original in Fort Lee. And they have this hot dog on their Brad Garoon. It's ridiculous. It comes they have out- a hot dog on their Brad Garoon? It is a hot dog on a Brad Garoon. Uh, and by mm. Brad Garoon, I mean a pizza loaf. Not, I'd never heard of a or pizza bread. I'd never heard of pizza bread in my life till I saw this thing. It's like the size of a giant bagel. And there's a one-pound hot dog on it with house-made potato chips, fried onions, 
and fried peppers. It's it's this it's bigger than my head. I'll, I'll show you a picture of it later. It's the biggest thing. Oh, I saw your picture. Oh, I saw it. It's ridiculous. But they also have a burger. Um, they have this burger there called the Fort Lee Burger with uh, crumble blue cheese, crispy onions, and lettuce. Uh, and I got one. I got a double. And they're using six ounce patties. So that is a twelve ounce burger. That's too many ounces. Yeah, I agree. It was, but I, you know what? I did it for the Instagram, and they're, they're one of they're using Shawai and Sons ground beef. So I wanted some really good looking Instagram photos, and I didn't finish the hamburger or the hot dog, but they were both very delicious. Well, I'm I'm so hungry listening to you talk about this. We have to move on. Let's <laughs> let's let's talk to our guests and see what kind of knowledge we can give our give our uh, listeners. Yes, awesome. I am psyched about today's guest, David Spark. Uh, this is going to be a very specific podcast for a very specific audience, but a, uh, a very important one, and that's trade shows in the food business. And I realize not a lot of people might have that experience, um, but it is something people on my side and listen, deal with every day. Uh, and so he has some really, really great advice. And, and surely if you're a professional in, in the marketing business at some point, you will have to attend or host a trade show. So listening, David's got a lot of great advice for you. David Spark is the VP of Marketing and Content and founder of Spark Media Solutions, a San Francisco-based brand journalism and media consulting firm. They've helped companies like Microsoft, Yammer, Sprint, and Tripwire be seen as leading voices in their field through brand quality and media production. Uh, David comes from a freelance journalist background where he's produced content for Mashable, socialmedia.biz, wire.com, men's health, and more. Uh, David is also the author of the new book, Three Feet from Seven Figures, One-on-One Engagement Techniques to Qualify More Leads at Trade Shows. Uh, a book that will help you effectively master attending trade shows and hosting a booth and industry-facing events, which we're going to get into today. David, what is the most common mistake made by exhibitors? I would probably say the most common mistake made by exhibitors is ignoring your audience and not reaching out to them nonstop throughout the entire event. Uh, Behaviors, and we can get more into this later, but we've all seen it at a trade show, people staring at their cell phones, talking to their colleagues, uh, the people that work at their own same company, like they're all wearing the same colored shirts, and completely ignoring the people who who are the attendees who came there to see them. How did you wind up being interested in trade shows specifically? So my company, Spark Media Solutions, a good two-thirds of the work that we do is at trade shows. We go to trade shows and conferences, and we interview industry experts, and we make fun videos, like man-on-the-street style videos. We do a lot of those. Uh, mostly, I should say, for the tech industry, because uh, I'm out here in the Bay Area, so I'm kind of swarmed with Silicon Valley nonsense. Uh, and I just, I had seen this behavior going on for a while. I know the exorbitant amount of money that is spent on trade shows. I mean, food trade shows, you know, I, I see what it looks like. I don't think it's of the level sometimes of what tech companies are spending, because they'll, they'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes seven figures uh, on a booth, and then you see the people barely working in the booth, like your head explodes because the cost per hour to be there is so high. Uh, you know, at the lowest level, it's going to be like three to five grand an hour. And, and, you know, and again, this is just what we got quoted. We got one person quoted about $35,000 an hour. So it's a... It's a very costly thing, but all your potential customers are physically in one location, and that's why people spend the money to do it. Because it, there is, even though it's that expensive, there is definitely a cost benefit to doing. Given that, uh, it makes sense that you would have written three feet from seven figures. You know, a whole book about best practices at trade shows. How did you go from 
being a part of a company that visits a lot of trade shows to being the, the voice of knowledge about how to best uh, operate at one? Well, I, I can't take all the credit for myself. I did interview a lot of experts, trainers. Uh, we do training ourselves. Um, but we're just a lot of experts who work in the trade show industry who deal with this with their own clients. Um, and they have to and they have to sort of educate them on how to perform better in a booth. So it, it was a combination of my own experience uh, working with employees, working a booth for a, an employee because I'm like, guys, come on. I mean, I've worked with clients before who literally sit in the couch in their booth, stare at their phone, and just ignore everyone. And I'm up there, like, do, conducting interviews, and people are showing real interest in the company, and I literally have to get them, hey, can you stop looking at your phone? Can you get off the couch? And you can you talk to this person who actually wants to meet you? And they're like, all right. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm bothering them. Oh, it's, it's chronic. I have a video I'm going to release very soon. It just exposes his behavior. Um, I mean, you know, I don't need, I don't need to tell you. You've seen it. How many booths have you walked by with someone staring at their cell phone or talking to their coworkers or literally their back to the floor? I mean, you've seen that, haven't you? I mean, look, the the food show. So food trade shows are very different than some of the ones I think you you've probably spent some more time in. What the rest of the world is used to, they are very boring. Um, People show up to, to your what you're saying. People show up. They kind of barely set up a table. They might serve some food. They might put it on a plate. They might like hang their banner out, and then they just kind of stand there and talk to each other. They kind of wait for somebody to show up. They like go sample from other people's tables. They like take phone calls, and it's just like it's just the most unenthusiastic, unengaged thing I've ever seen. Well, first of all, I have the advantage, you know, going to a tech trade show is there's always something new when you go to a tech trade show, almost always. Like, everyone's there to see the new cool thing, whatever it is. Whatever was last year is completely different. Food doesn't really change at the rate as technology does, but there's also food technology. That's something else. But so, you know, that's the problem you have there. So let me ask, are these essentially restaurant owners talking to suppliers and they're trying to find new supply chains for their food with... How how is this working? In the food food service industry, which you know restaurants, um, it's typically put on by a distributor or a broker, and then the manufacturers show up. Like Schweiden Sons, our sponsor, who I work for, we are manufacturer. We make burgers. People show up, and they're typically restaurant operators, restaurant owners, or people maybe at the regional or chain level who are in charge of something in, involved with purchasing. So essentially, you're looking. You're looking to distribute more through more channels, and everyone there is distributing either food or they're distributing some kind of physical product, maybe like dishware, I don't know. Um, or, or maybe there might be some technology involved as well. But essentially, the, 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 all the buyers there are somehow connected to restaurants in some way. Or maybe, I don't know, do, would you even, with, with the food industry, would there also be supermarkets as well, like markets, or would it just be restaurants? So... In, in our industry, there are two different things. So food, uh, like a food show for food service is just restaurants, and then a retail trade show would be just supermarkets. They don't typically crisscross. Well, there's no crossover. No. Okay. Um, so, and and at, at a food service show, which there are more of those than retail shows, it's anybody that would vend to a restaurant. It's probably 75 to 80% food vendors, and the rest would be you know, dish detergent, uh, rubber gloves, you know, yeah. forks, knives, napkins, stuff like that. So, essentially, 
I, you know, I got to assume this this whole industry. I mean, all industries are like this, but in your industry, it's heavily, heavily relationship based. Correct. I mean, in, entirely. I mean, Brad, from the marketing perspective, I mean, what, what would you say? Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. It's people you meet along the way. Very, very little, yeah. very little like cold calling going on in in this industry. Yeah. So it's there's also also uh, I would also assume that a trade show. You're also validating relationships. So if you initiated a relationship via phone or email or someone uh, introduced you like remotely and you hadn't met face to face yet, that was an opportunity to meet all these people that you've been communicating with over the year that you've yet to meet face to face. And like, oh, you know, you're our distributor. Oh, it's great to talk with you. So how are things going? And, you know, it's opportunity to validate. So it's possible many people. And here are the two things of why people go to the trade shows. They go to trade shows to compete and to try to get more business. But one of the other reasons people go to trade shows, and this is kind of the sad thing, is they go to not lose. And that's kind of the like if you if you're a major like so for example, if your company uh, Rev chooses not to go to a food show, well, what can happen is your direct competitors can define your story for you. You know, people can say, so where are they? Why aren't they here? It goes, well, you know, I heard that such and such happened. Like, you know, they can just tell your story. So all you and your direct competitors have to be at the show, you know, A, to try to get more business, but to also not lose. And that's a lot, one of the major reasons people go to trade shows, sadly, if they're not in a, you know, in a growth mode, is to sort of protect what market they physically already have. So if they're in that mode, they may not be in the aggressive, how do I get more clients business, but they may be... I'm going to stand here until one of our existing clients comes over and I can chat with them. And so that may be a strong reason why you don't see sort of people being more uh, forthright and aggressive. What do you think? Uh, well, I, would, I think you're correct. I think part of, part of the issue with food service shows, and, I, and we're definitely dissecting it at this point, um, is if you are a successful restaurant owner and you are above one location, you're a, re, you know, you're a regional, you're a chain, your franchisee, etc., right? You you don't find out about new food products by going to food service shows. You just call your distributor and say, um, "I'm thinking about bringing in tomahawk steaks. Get me some." Or you call your broker and you do the same thing. And so you don't go to a show to see like, "Oh, what's the new meatball everybody's making?" It just it's just not how it works. But um, but, hold, but also, aren't you also competing? I mean, you're competing on both price and quality. So how does one, you know, I, I'm assuming they got a taste, you know, you know, if, if they're talking to your, you know, if you're trying to bring in somebody, like, let, let me ask, how would you steal somebody away from a direct competitor? How, how does that work? Cool. Uh, so I'm glad you sort of redirected the question here. So what I was going to say is the people, the, re- the leads, because that's what this is, it's about, you know, generating leads. The leads right. that come to these shows are not necessarily the most qualified or the most volume-based, right? Because those people from the purchasing aspect already have their sources for whatever. Napkins, meat, ketchup, it doesn't matter. They just call their guy, he brings them in five different ones and they pick one, right? So it could be, I think that over time, people on my side of it that are going to these things might look at these opportunities and these leads as not being the most qualified, so they end up not putting in the most effort. My argument, and to where I think you're going, is it doesn't matter 
right? Because what if this guy's kind of successful today, but kind of really successful tomorrow? You still got to put your best foot forward. And in that room, when there is somebody else doing the same thing that you're doing, two meatball guys, two cheese guys, two napkins guys, you still got to put on the best show, and you still got to make yourself look great, and you still have to, whether it's innovate or just be personable. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm asking a lot of questions about your business because there's definitely, definitely your business operates very, very different than these tech shows. Very, very different. Extremely. Um, it's A, hyper-competitive. The differentiators between you and your competitors can be, you know, razor thin. Um, very true. Where there's, in technology, there's far more complexities to show different differentiation. My feeling, you know, if I was at one of your shows, and I don't know if you guys already do this, first of all, when they when they um when they set up the booth, do they put all the meat guys in one row? I mean, are you guys all together? Uh typically no, unless it's what they call a center of the plate show, which mm -hmm. means that the only people that are in there are the protein people. My feeling is if you want to steal away competition, in which I know it doesn't happen in one conversation, but you need to know who the major players are who are talking to your competition. So you have to have spies watching the other booths and knowing the people that are going to those other booths and who are the people who are obviously buying from your competitors. Um, because then you can later at the show, not right at their booth, you know, at your competitor's booth, but later at the show, pinpoint those people and, you know, invite them. Say, hey, you know, you know, I hear you're at such and such, and uh, have you ever thought about our company? And if not, just say, hey, can I, you know, can I introduce you and in, interest you in a tasting? Um, and what do you, or, or really the, the, the most open-ended question you can ask is, what are you looking for at the show? And the, my other big argument, um, and I'm kind of skipping around on how we do this. We usually, when we talk about this, we do this in a very linear fashion. But, you know, you're only selling meat. But... Even if someone's not interested in your product, they will talk to people that are interested in your product. And that's why you have to make everyone's experience positive, even if they're not going to be your, uh, ever going to buy your product. And so, it, because, you know, I, I got to assume your whole industry is incredibly incestuous and that everyone talks to each other and people, when they move from one business to another, they're just staying within the industry. So they all kind of know each other, right? Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. So... One thing I would definitely recommend is doing a little spying on your competition to see who's going to the other booths, to see who the, those customers are, and to, to essentially not to sell to them right away, but just to initiate a relationship. Um, you, you know, most of these trade shows, and you correct me if I'm wrong, nobody's closing deals from the first meeting there. They may be validating a relationship, and, and if you had a long series of conversations, you meet the person uh, in person there, maybe you're closing deals at the show. Um, but it's not from a first meeting, your closing deals, correct? I mean, that, I wouldn't imagine that ever would happen. No, it's generally like an introduction conversation, and I think yeah. that's a good that's a good segue point. Um, maybe you could give some tips on, like, what's the best way to have that, like, sort of two-minute impression, impression on somebody? Like, what's, what are some tips you would give to somebody who's so, in, in, in the booth, has two minutes to meet somebody, make an impression, qualify them? Like, what's a process you would walk them through? Yeah, yeah, okay. So this, this is essentially the book right here. So the, we, we break it down to just the whole process of how do you stop the person? Let's just begin with that. How do I stop a random person walking on the floor? 
How, how do you just do that? And then from the stop, how do I have a positive moment engagement? Then from the positive moment engagement, how do I qualify or disqualify them? So from stopping, really prepare opening-ended questions. I can't, it's, what really amazes me is the amount, all the time and effort people in, go into making their booth and planning for it, and they don't spend 10 minutes writing down a few opening lines. What's going to be my opening line when this person comes by? And I will tell you, the one opening line that I think is universal and works in any single situation, and it's the best way to begin it because it makes it about them, not you, is to just say, what is the coolest thing you've seen at the show today? Because the answer to that question is going to lead you down the conversation that will be about them, not you. And that's, by the way, can't stress this enough, and this is what I think a lot of people do not get. The trade show is not about you. The trade show is about them. The trade show is about the attendees. The trade show, the attendees came to meet people like you, but they are the stars of the show. Not you that spent the money to set up the booth, but they are. And you, if, you, if that's in your head when you're working the booth, you will treat them differently. Not like, oh, you came to see us. You know, we're the ones, you know, on display. You're the one, you know, you should be seeing us. You'll have a different mindset. So begin with the opening line of, What's the coolest thing you saw at the show today? A couple of things that, that's going to just give you some basic uh, analysis and information about the show because you're trapped in your booth all day. B, it's going to give you some competitive information probably. Plus, it'll also give you information about what this person finds interesting. They are qualifying you for you by making it about them. If they say, you know, whatever they found is most interesting is relevant to your business, boom, you immediately know this person is qualified. Also, you have a point of conversation. You can say, well, why, what was so cool about this? Well, I like this and this, and, you know, I got a finally chance to meet so-and-so. And you can say, well, now you got a chance to meet me, kind of a thing. Uh, you can have fun with it. Another technique for just, again, stopping the person, acknowledge what's going on in the moment. And acknowledging what's going on in the moment could be as simple as acknowledging what they're wearing. So I see from your, from your image icon, Rev, that you got a very cool hat on. You're literally, your opening line could be, I love your hat. Here's a truth about all engagements. You can never go wrong giving somebody a compliment. You just can't. <laughs> it always works. It's never, it's never backfired on you? No. Well, I, I, I've done the opposite. I've, I've made fun of people in a way, and I, I realized what a stupid mistake that was. But if you're truthful about it, you know, like I just commented on guys' beards on the floor, or their hats, or I love your shoes, or what a great tie that is, or you know, you don't you don't BS your way, but really, you know, be somewhat honest about it. And or if you're wearing something goofy, your opening line could be, "What do you think of my silly hat?" People also love to give their opinion. That's the other thing. I mean, by asking what's the coolest thing you saw on the show floor today, that's asking for their opinion. But you could also be holding something, and you could like one opinion could be. What do you think is the most valuable steak right here on display right here? I want to know how much you know about steaks or hamburger meat or whatever. What do you, what do you think is the most valuable? Then they, it's now a game, and they can play. And, that's a, and also that's a way of qualifying somebody. You know, if, the, if the person goes, well, I don't know anything about meat, well, you know, they're not in your industry. They don't know. But if they immediately know, then boom, they're qualified. Um, you know, and, that, and adding a gimmick to it always works. A fun little silly gimmick. Uh, always works in those cases. Um, well, let me ask you guys: Have you have both of you worked trade shows before? I have not. 
<laughs> you have not. Rath, have you have you worked a trade show before? Yeah, we our company participates in an innumerable amount of trade shows. It is it is like a constant thing. We actually have trade show seasons. Trade show season. And and are do you have to work the booth? Um typically not, but again, this is another great segue. So, um you know, in your book, you 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 talk about and I've read this you know, you don't think that the salespeople are necessarily the right people to be in the booth. Can yeah. you can you expand on that thought and sort of talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So again, and, and you can you can tell me if your business doesn't operate this way, but in B two B tech businesses, the salesperson, their job is to get more sales in their region, and when they're at a trade show, they are there to follow up on leads. And they're also there to strengthen relationships with existing customers and getting them to buy more. The purpose at the booth, and this you know may not be all cases, but it sounds true to you. Purpose of the booth is just to acquire leads, and also your existing customers will come by, and you can sort of strengthen relationships there as well. Uh, but often, I'm sure at these events, there, there's a lot of sort of private meetings that are going on as well. Um, you know, not all the meetings are physically happening at the booth. Um, and a big, by the way, a big tech trade show, sometimes they will build a booth big enough that will have a private room right there on the floor so they can have private meetings right there on the spot. The reason I don't think the salesperson is good is because they are not incentivized to gather leads. If I'm sitting in the booth and I'm a salesperson and I am sitting there and all I'm doing is gathering leads, that doesn't benefit my job, my role at all whatsoever. In fact, I can't... I can't do anything with that. You know, for example, if I'm sitting in the booth and I say, you know, hey, Rev, where you're from, and you say New York, and I'm working the West Coast, well, you're dead to me. You know, like I can't do anything with you. So it becomes a useless value. And the reason people think salespeople are the best to have in the booth is because they make their living schmoozing people, talking to them. And it's just, while that may be true, the reality is their role is antithetical to the need of the booth, which is getting more leads and qualifying leads. And what the, the salespeople should be doing is going out there and working the existing leads they have that are at the show and, and having uh, more meetings and relationships with their existing customers. That is the salesman's best value. It's, it seems like most of the advice you've given so far is really finding the right person to get behind the booth to, to generate leads, to finding the right person who has that personality that can reach out and talk to these potential leads. But at the top of the show, you mentioned that people are spending upwards of $30,000 on a booth. Well, no, well, no, not upwards. Oh, my God, a lot more than that. I've, you know, that, I've seen booths over a million dollars being so spent. Where, where's the value in that if, uh, or is there a really a value in that if at the end of the day, a plywood table with the right person behind it is generating more of a value for your company? You know what? I have seen guys with so much freaking personality in a plywood table just crushing it. And yes, if you have the right personality, and that's what, you know, one of the things we do when we train people for trade shows is we, we also audition people. Like everyone thinks, oh, we need the VP of marketing and sales working the booth. Eh, no, I think you just need the most personable people working the booth is really what you need. And um, the reason that you, you spend the money on the booth is you're trying to make a, a visual splash and you're also trying to collect leads, and often, you know, sometimes it's just a quantity game. I mean, I, I don't know if you know about the sort of the Marketo model uh, of, um, of getting uh, marketing and sales, 
But the whole theory is, is that you operate in this funnel is that if I get 10,000 leads into the funnel, I know how to convert, you know, X percentage of those leads into the next generation. And then, you know, over time I can turn that 10,000 leads, like 2% of it into business, you know, whatever the number is. And it's, it's a series of funneling and converting and, and sort of walking people through a sort of process. So sometimes some businesses are just purely figuring a way how can we scan as many names and as many badges? And when I say scan, most of the trade shows, and you tell me if the food trade shows operate this way, where they give the person uh, in the booth a scanner to scan the badges so you can collect the names into a database and then follow up with them with email marketing or even phone calls for that matter. Um, a lot of companies operate just get me more and more, more scans. And so they'll have like a magician in the booth that can draw huge crowds and then you can scan like 100 people every half hour and then that becomes huge. Or they'll just do giveaways, and for me to give you a giveaway, I have to scan your badge. Um, again, it all depends on your business. If, if that kind of quantity works for you, then yes, go down that road. But we're, you know, the reason I call this book Three Feet from Seven Figures is that in our industry, if you land a new client, and you know, it's possible you know, with you guys as well, it's that a new client, the lifetime value will you know, inevitably go into the seven figures. So, Look at these attendees with that dollar sign, whatever that lifetime value is over their head, and think about, like, well, maybe I'll treat this person a little bit better because I know if I land them as a potential customer, that's you know X millions of dollars that's coming into the business over the, in their lifetime. What's a company to do when, let's say they have a small team, uh, their marketing team, their PR team, none of them are particularly charismatic or maybe they're charismatic in their role, but they see standing behind the table at a trade show as either, as you put in your book, too junior a role for them or just something that they don't excel at? I see plenty of CEOs of companies work in their booth the whole time. And if you think it's too junior, if you think being that close to all your potential customers for a short period of time, too junior a role, then you have to sort of rethink how you're managing your business because you're going to have more connections to more people in a shorter period of time than literally any physical time throughout the year. Just, it's not possible. Now, conversely, if you have to physically be at the event to have these certain meetings throughout the time, then you know, yes, you should not be in your booth. You should be having these meetings. Uh, you know, you know, following up on leads, working existing relationships and whatnot. Um, if you don't feel that you have the sort of uh, physical constitution to handle it, well, that's where the world of incentives come in and that you have to sort of build incentives in. And it could be as simple as, Whoever gets most scans on their, you know, on their badge scanner, or collects the most business cards, or uh, gets the most people to play the game that we have about, you know, choose the most expensive meat on the table, you know, whatever, whatever it is you want to do, um, then you know, simple things like that, those kinds of incentives where you throw a real cash prize, like we'll give you two hundred, whoever collects the most leads or whoever does this gets an extra two hundred dollar bonus at the end of the day. Well, that simple incentive, compared to the thousands that you're blowing at the show, that simple incentive will get people to work hard, period. It, it will happen. Um, the problem is there's just no incentives. You know, at, I don't know if they do this at your trade shows, but at the tech trade shows, they're so massive and the booths are so huge sometimes that they have to hire staff to work the booth to bring people in. And those people are always working harder because they are incentivized to work harder. If I do not work hard, I don't work a trade show again. Um, and so that's that's something to keep in mind. What is the incentive for the person working the booth 
to keep working. I mean, for most, I could just stand by my table. And by the way, I always recommend standing in front and not behind. Uh, if you're in front, then you're then you don't have a physical barrier between you and the potential customers. So how, about, how about one. just how about just not having a table? Well, I'm all for that too. But if you have to display your wares and show your wares, then then you have to have a table out. But again, most booths at trade shows are usually open, and then they'll have their sort of stuff on the on the side, like you know the the, the common you know sort of a ten by ten booth, the, the tiny tiny size one. Um, you know they'll just have one display thing and maybe one monitor station showing what they have. The other technique, and I know you're physically showing food, but I'm sure you can show things on a digital screen as well, is to not make people come to the booth, but to have stuff on an iPad or a tablet device and show and say to people, hey, do you want to see something cool? And just and then go to them because believe it or not, even though if you go up to meet someone and then you want to try to physically draw them back two, three steps to your booth to show them something, uh, that's actually, that that forces the person to cross a line that they may not be comfortable to do. But if you come out with, you walk the information to them on a tablet of some sort and then show it to them, then that can be valuable. I mean, another fun technique is like, you could play a game with them on a tablet. You know, you could play the, you know, guess the most expensive meat or, Guess which meat's going to go rotten tomorrow. You know, I mean, be silly about it if you want. Or, um, or the other thing is, I've, we've done that technique, the, the the tablet technique, with survey results. Like, hey, do you want to see the survey results on such and such? And you could just pull up any survey either you commissioned or just something cool that was online, and you can show it to them, and you can say, oh, well, you're obviously interested in this. Can we add you to our mailing list, and we'll send you more info about it. Um, so just find positive ways to engage that would interest the audience in that way. I think there was some, some really, really good advice and really great thinking. I want to take this up to a 30,000-foot view, right? Yeah. So co companies spend all this time, all this money making their booth. You know, they think about the perfect text to have on the background that has the perfect image on it. You know, they're handing out branded pens. You know, there's a presentation on a computer or, a, a, you know, printed material. You know, none of that really is what really matters. What do you think is the most important thing a company should think about or do when they're planning out the participation in a trade show? I, I, first of all, A, um, thank you for saying that. Yeah, you're right. None of that matters. I mean, the amount of time. And, and I go back to the comment I made at the beginning of the podcast is you have to train your staff, period. You have to train your staff on how to engage with the people and people are like, well, I know how to talk to human beings. Like, I don't need training in that. But it's more of the training of how do I do this in a fast round robin fashion? How do I, all right, stop, have a positive moment of engagement, qualify, disqualify, thank the person for being there, you know, and then move on. And how, how can I do this really quickly? Because one of the things that, and I see this all the time, you're going to trade show booth and you do find someone who's qualified and you're hitting it off just smashingly well. What most of us want to do is sit there and just talk with that person for the next half hour. But you can't do that at trade show because there's hundreds, if not thousands of people walking by who are potential customers, and you're missing the opportunity. What you need to do is you need to end really, really good conversations. You have to put an end to them. And and, and a lot of people just don't recognize the need to do that. Um, you, just, you really just I, – I, I, like, first things first – if you don't train people, which you should do, at bare minimum, prepare a half a dozen opening lines. Just prepare them. What are, what are the first words we're going to see? 
Second is, if you can come up with some positive engagement thing, make it a game, something where you're asking for their opinion, physically going out to them with a tablet device and showing them something, showing a survey or anything, um, you know, some data on the restaurant industry. People love to see that kind of stuff. And, and, and you can also say, why do you think this is the case? Why do you not think this is the case? Or take a survey while you're there. You know, well, we did that with one of our clients recently where they actually roamed the floor and just stopped people with a tablet device and asked them to take a survey. And then when the whole conference was over, they released the survey results from the minds of the people on the survey. And also they captured the information of the person, so they were able to send that survey with them as well. So I, I, I can't stress the importance of spend less time on the minutia of the booth. No one's going to read your sign beyond the headline. Understand. Have one beautiful photo, one good headline, which is probably your company name, and then and then whatever you need to physically display, have it there and display it and show it. But then just think about how are we going to positively engage with the other humans? Because that's as you said, you know, this industry is all about relationships. Nobody's going to sell anything about the words or the photograph that you printed. They're going to sell about the relationships that you build. And you're going to use that time to either initiate a relationship or grow an existing relationship or, you know, uh, cement one that's that's starting to blossom at the time, and you're gonna it's gonna be one of those three stages that happens there. And even if the person's not qualified, it doesn't hurt to have another friend in the restaurant industry. It just doesn't. They're always gonna be on your side if you have a positive engagement with them. You gave us quite a few examples of good opening lines and uh, some like flirtatious ones too, which I think are also great, but. Uh, can you give us a couple examples of ways to close out a conversation with uh, someone who comes up to your booth that doesn't pass your qualification test? Yeah, yeah. So, and there's an, and I'll bring up something else too. And I'll, I'll ask: Have you ever had a situation? And I'm going to get to the, the the disqualifying person, but I'm going to ask you, Rev. Do you ever have a situation where someone will come up to you and start mentioning your competition and sort of egg you on to talk smack about them? Do you yes. ever have that? Yes, and one of the questions we were going to ask you today is how do you handle that situation? Okay, okay. So I, I want to so so well, let's talk about both of those things. So first, let me uh, answer the uh, the question with regards to the person's disqualified. You meet a person, they're they're they own a line of vegetarian restaurants. There's not a chance in hell they're ever ever going to buy from you. De definitely not. <laughs> okay, it's never ever going to happen. But you don't want to blow them off. All right, you have to. So the simplest, and this is the simplest way, is to just look the person in the eye, say their name, thank them for coming by, and uh, yeah, thank them for coming by, and just tell them to enjoy the rest of the show, and so, or and also mention their your one line, you know. Um, so hi, my name is Rev. Thank thank you, David, for coming on by. Uh, we make you know our company. We make the best quality meats in tri-state area. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the show. And if you and shake their hand while you're doing that. If you shake their hand, be honest, look them in the eye and do it. And that's the key thing is tell your one opening line because that person that owns that line of vegetarian restaurants will inevitably talk to somebody who's looking for meats because oh well I met the Schweden Sons guys and they were great. They were awesome. Uh, and I had no interest in them. So they're going to turn into your word of mouth marketing force. Everybody who's disqualified will turn into a word of mouth marketing force. Uh, for you if you have a positive engagement for them. 
as for dealing with people who essentially go, you know, you know, bring up your competitor, and essentially probably they are a customer of your competitor, and they're just, you know, they're probably doing a little recon and trying to get you to talk smack about them. My favorite technique is a never say anything negative about your competition, but conversely speak very very positively on them about them, but uh, on completely inconsequential things. So if someone asks you about your competitor and it goes, oh yeah, I know those guys. I absolutely love the colors they have in their logo. And by the way, they throw, they have some of the best balloons in their booth. Have you seen the balloons? They're fantastic. Make sure you go see their balloons. You know, you're, you're saying nothing, you're saying everything positive, but completely inconsequential. And that's your sort of, your way of saying, I'm not going to play your game here, but I'm, I'm going to just stay positive. And because it's obvious what they're what they're doing, and it goes, but you know, I'm, I'm, you know, and when they're doing, they goes, but hey, I'm happy to show you what, what what we're doing right here. So you know, if they go back to report, and he goes, well, they had nothing, not you know, nothing negative to say about you guys. Uh, but that that technique actually works very well. Just always stay positive, never say anything negative about them, and uh, but don't say anything, you know, uh, consequential that has anything to do with their core business. Well, that does happen in, in our in our business, and I want to stay on this uh, this theme of, of being positive. In the book, you talk about positive nicknaming. Um, mm -hmm. you, using Brad and I as an example, can you show the listeners how that works? Sure. So, um, if I was working the booth, if I was working your booth, and you um, and uh, Brad comes up, and you're my you're my coworker, Rev. What what I would do is Brad would come up. He's working at a restaurant, and I'd say, Brad. Uh, I go, Rev, I want you to meet probably the smartest shopper I've met on the floor today, right now. This is Brad. He's, he, I can't believe how smart, he's already, by the way, he played this game on the uh, the pricing of the meat, and he knew everything already. So this guy, he's he's one, he's two, at least three steps ahead of us. Brad, I'm putting you in very good hands with Rev right now. Rev is our absolute top marketing guy here. He, he will help you out, and he will put you in touch with all the key people you need. We're going to make sure you get the top treatment here, and especially because you obviously know what you're talking about. So, I, by the way, I'm being crazy effusive in a situation like this, and I, and I barely know your business, so I'm sort of, you know, uh, working as best as I can. But um, the idea here is you're you're uh, bestowing positive branding on other people. Smart shopper, intelligent cook, great restaurateur, you know. Just you're saying everything positive about the person you met. It's very if someone if I say something positive about you, it, and you walk away, you are rejecting the positive thing that I bestowed upon you. People usually don't walk away when you bestow positive branding on them. It, it just it, that's just how it works. It operates. So if you can be truthful to it, you know, and even though you're going to be effusive to a certain degree. Uh, it works. It really, really works. I think that is some great advice, and you have been an absolutely fantastic and uh, informative guest here, and really brought some positivity to the show. And well, and I enjoy people being out. on the show with you guys, especially <laughs> learning about an industry I know so little about. <laughs> oh God, it was mutually beneficial. So we we always end the show with with the same three questions, and okay. uh, you will be victim to them as well. Uh, so the first thing we like to ask is, what is your favorite burger from childhood? You know, my favorite burger is probably my wife's least favorite because, first of all, she doesn't eat red meat, uh, so she wouldn't be a oh, customer, no. but I do. 
Uh, but she, I like, I'm a big fan of the blue cheeseburger. Uh, I, there's, and she hates blue cheese too. So I'm a big, big fan of the blue cheeseburger. And I'm just trying to think, you know, from childhood, there was a place called J.C. Hillary's. It doesn't exist. I grew up on, in uh, Boston. I remember they had really good burgers. Oh, no, I'll take that back. I'll take it back. When I went to college, Blueberry Hill in St. Louis had an amazing, and still does, has, has an incredible burger. And it's a pretty well-known place in St. Louis. It's a big bar that's actually grown in size over the years. And what's the best burger you had recently? Ironically, I just had an amazing burger. It was a... Uh, uh, with the sauerkraut, uh, like the patty melt type burger, uh, at a place called West Burger and More in the Mission District of San Francisco. It's a kind of a uh, a dive joint that's kind of a hipster dive joint, if you will, in the Mission District of San Francisco, which is kind of that neighborhood. And uh, it was great. W-E-S Burger and More in San Francisco's Mission. Excellent burger. Uh, I, I need to eat this. What would be the one piece of advice you would give to somebody in the food marketing business? My piece of advice with regards to trade shows specifically, because I'm, I'm not an expert in food marketing, but my number one advice, before you go to the trade show, everyone who's going to be working the booth is very clear with what their role is going to be and is ready for it, and they've prepared what they're going to say, and maybe created a fun game. Um, and also, you've built some kind of incentive because those days are long, they're exhausting, and you want those people working every single hour. Not the first two hours or the first half day. You want them working the whole day as hard as possible. So make sure you build incentives and throw a few hundred bucks at them for you know the best performance because that is going to be key for your success at the trade show. Thank you very much, David. Why don't you uh, let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and where they can get your book? Sure. Uh, you can get my book at 3feetbook.com. It's uh, actually pretty reasonable. It's only $14.95 in print, $9.99 digital. Uh, it was, by the way, I should mention, uh, LinkedIn just uh, named it as one of the top 12 marketing books for the sophisticated market. So it, uh, and it has a lot, lot of other good positive reviews on it. Um, and uh, my business, SparkMediaSolutions.com. If you want us to go to your industry event and create lots of fun content like videos and articles and, and images and stuff like that, well, that's the core of our business and what we do. And, uh, and we'd love to have our first uh, company in the restaurant industry because we've been spending way too much time in tech. <laughs> you have a big challenge in front of you. David, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for being really insightful. Really, really appreciate all you brought to, uh, to the knowledge of the show today. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.